Hey everyone, and welcome back to Stand By Go, the theater podcast out of Asheville, North Carolina. And for this episode, we have a, a great treat. We have all the way from New York City, a Broadway stage manager who has stage managed The Color Purple, The Play That Goes Wrong, and Beetlejuice. Please welcome Matt DiCarlo. Hey there. Hey Matt, how, how is uh, New York City right now? Um, well, currently in New York, it, uh, it is, uh, there's a crazy thunderstorm outside. It is, um, it is a full downpour, car, um, car alarms are going off because of the thunder. Um, other than that, though, New York is, uh, New York is slowly opening up. It's yeah. been quiet. Yeah. I bet, I bet it's yeah. a little bit surreal, it being as quiet as it's been over the last couple months. Totally. It's, um, you know, I think um, part of what's so attractive about being in New York and living in New York and working in New York is um, how the city beats, how the heart of the city, you know, sort of uh, ticks. And it's strange to be here when none of that exists, when there's no theater, no museums, no restaurants, no people. It's, it's, a, weird, uh, it's a weird time to be here. Yeah, I'm sure. I live in a um, a tourist city myself in Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I don't head downtown very much, um, but I've heard that there are some times where it's almost as crazy as it normally is tourist wise. Um, I think people are trying to get I, into the mountain areas, but uh, I think it's yeah. been pretty, pretty surreal down here as well. I'm sure it seems like it's surreal um, everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I just want to go ahead and jump straight into it. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your, your history in theater? Sure. Um, let's see. I, um, I grew up in New Jersey. I was born and raised there. Uh, like a lot of young people, I, I started in theater by acting as a kid. I did school plays. I, participated in community theater. Uh, you know, I went to theater summer camp. I did all of that um, while lots of kids were outside running around and having fun in the summer. I was like hauled up in my room listening to cast albums. I was like the quintessential nerdy theater kid. Um, and it wasn't until I was in high school that I even ever thought about doing anything that wasn't on stage. And uh, I sort of happened upon being the student director for our senior year's um, production of Damn Yankees. Uh, in high school, and I loved that. I loved sort of um, being able to lead the charge. I didn't necessarily, uh, you know, want to be bossy and be uh, in charge, but I loved rallying the masses and getting to make decisions and getting to um, see things from that perspective. And I, um, when I was applying to colleges, I uh, looked at a lot of different things. I really didn't have any idea what a stage manager was. And back uh, back then, there were. Um, there weren't as many resources as there are today. It was harder to sort of learn things and network with people and get in touch with people. So I did um, some knocking on stage doors and I read a lot of playbills and as many articles as I could find. And I learned what a production stage manager did. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, it seemed like a hybrid of all the things that I loved about theater and a lot of the things that I was and wanted to be. Um, and so I ended up going to Rutgers uh, to Mason Gross, which is the BFA theater program there. And I got my BFA in theater production and management. I focused on stage management and directing. And um, 
I graduated in 2007 after spending a semester abroad studying at Shakespeare's Globe in London. And I uh, moved right to the city. I graduated in May, moved here in July. And it was, uh, it was amazing. I, I spent my first uh, like year in the city not working here. I was networking, I was volunteering for Broadway Cares and the Actors Fund and meeting people. And I was working a lot at Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. And um, I directed some summer stock at Bucks County Playhouse in Pennsylvania. And I got my equity card a year after I graduated. Um, I got my union card doing Little Shop of Horrors at Paper Mill. And um, I, you know, I've, I've been really fortunate. I've had some great opportunities in New York come my way. My first, my first was uh, Rock of Ages. I, I signed on to be the PA um, for the off-Broadway run in 2008. It was supposed to only be for three weeks. And I actually ended up turning down an equity contract to do that because I um, wanted experience working on a commercial musical. I wanted to work in New York. Um, I thought that that would sort of be like my gateway in and it paid off. I mean, I, I stayed with Rock of Ages for its off-Broadway run, even though I was only supposed to be there for three weeks. I ended up becoming the ASM when it made a transfer to Broadway the next year. Uh, flash forward two years later, I became the PSM. Um, I was the youngest uh, production stage manager of a Broadway musical at that time. I took over at Rock of Ages on the week of my 25th birthday as the PSM. And, uh, you know, things sort of happened from there. I stayed with Rock of Ages for a long time before deciding it was time to um, move on. And uh, after that, I sort of have, um, I've done some really exciting projects. I've spent time, a lot of time in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, but I've also um, been able to uh, work in San Francisco and San Diego and uh, Milburn, New Jersey. And I've been able to visit lots of cities uh, around the country because I've been involved in the recreation of shows for the road and I've directed some tours. And so I've been able to go out and visit a lot. And um, now I'm here uh, waiting. I was ready to start tech for Sing Street on Broadway uh, right before this all started. And um, now I'm like a stay at home uh, person, just like everybody else. That is a, that is a great, uh, a great story and path from how you started to to now and where we met where the two of us met was when you were uh the psm for the play that goes wrong in yes. 2017 i was in new york for the broadway stage manager symposium and i asked uh, matt stern if there's any shadowing um, experiences and he's like i got i got the perfect person for you and he got me in touch with you and Funny enough, you were, when during that weekend, you were in Asheville, if I remember correctly. Yes. Uh, you yep. were in Asheville for like a wedding or something, and I was in New York. Yep. And it was just, it was really funny. Um, yeah, my cousin was getting married there. Yeah. At, at the Biltmore House? Was that where they were getting? Or at I think they were. Park? It was, it was all I remember. I can't remember the name of the venue now. I'll think of it as soon as we're done, of course. But yeah. we ended up like from the airport, it was a drive into like no cell service to where yeah. the wedding was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that shadowing experience was just really, really amazing. And unfortunately, I think that, you know, with the coronavirus, it may be a thing of the past, at least for, at least for a little while. So too. Um, yeah, I think so too. Uh, but I mean, I've had a, a great experiences of shadowing and, and you were like the, my, the, my first experience of shadowing and each time it's great because it's all I always seem to be going like when I'm like yeah stage management's what I want to do 
but but then like going to shadow is like oh yes this is exactly what i want to do it, it like gives me that push into like yeah you can do it what you're doing now is what you know they're doing just on a much larger scale right um, it, i mean it's true it's the same everywhere the only difference at the end of the day is like the dollars that people spend making the theater right it's all it's all the same stuff at every level yeah um and, and so i was jotting some things down as you were talking um and you went to Rutgers for a BFA. Yep. And I know right now there's a, um, a big, I want to say argument, but a big debate within the stage management world of uh, like, do you go for a BA or do you go for a BFA? I'm just curious about like what your opinion on that is. I, let's see, I, I think that that's probably a debate for everybody who's a theater maker or an artist everywhere. Should I get a BFA? Should I get a BA? Do I need to get an MFA? I mean, all these things. And as somebody, I, I have a BFA. I, um, I, I'm also an educator. I teach in the MFA program at Columbia and I teach at the, in the BFA program at SUNY Purchase. And I, um, I think it's, it's all about self. I mean, the, the fact is, the real fact is you don't actually need any of these degrees, right? There's a lot of people who find theater without getting that degree. Do I think a degree in theater is helpful and useful? A hundred percent, two thousand percent, yes. Um, I, I, for me, all I ever wanted to do was theater. There was no question in my mind that that's what I wanted to do with my life, that this was my dream, that I was going to do whatever it took to get there. And, um, there was nothing else I wanted to study. I mean, you know, as part of the BFA program at Rutgers, you take a certain amount of credits, just like everywhere in gen ed classes. And I did them and I got stuff out of them, but the, the, the bulk of my time there was spent doing theater and that's what I wanted to do. Um, my advice would be that if you, there's any question in your mind about what you want your future to be, and you're not 2000% sure that you want to go for a career in theater, maybe look at getting an MBA. Um, because coming out of college with the BFA, I was like ready to hit the ground running. But my four years of college were spent studying theater, preparing me for a career in the theater or a career in entertainment. And of course, those skills are marketable other places, right? I mean, especially as a stage manager or a designer or a director, we have skills that we can use in so many other fields, thank God, at times like this. Um, but, you know, I... I, all I wanted to do was this. And so that's the benefit of getting a BFA is that you are like laser focused in a conservatory program about one thing. You can get an incredible theater education with a BA. Um, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything inferior about getting a BA as opposed to a BFA, if that's helpful at all. I think it's just a different kind of experience. It's, um, it's not as, um, you're not stuck in as much of like a pigeonhole as you are when you're getting a BFA. And, and that, you know, that makes somebody who, whose goal is commercial stage management, stage managing in commercial theater in New York, but has a BA does make me feel a lot better. Cause I went to a liberal arts school in Asheville uh, where the program is BA. And, and I actually, I have this question just because I don't really know. Um, and I, so I work for the university I graduated from um, and I work with the admissions office. And so I actually know, um, like our drama department front and back when it comes to like classes as well as like the general ed, the general education classes. But when it comes to like the college classes in a BFA, um, 
and you said you were in the theater production and management program. Is that what, is that what you yes. said? Yeah. Did, how many classes did you take that were outside of the management? Like, did you still take like all the theater classes, like all the design classes and stuff? Because I know we, that's what yes. we had to do. Yeah. And I think I'll also say, I think, you know, as a stage manager or a director, um, and I, I could talk about this with actors too, but it's real. The best artists are the ones that are well-rounded. The best artists are the ones that understand what everybody does in the room. And so the time I spent in, um, the scene shop and in costume construction and lighting design and directing and acting. I mean, it all comes into play for me all the time as a, as a Broadway stage manager. I use things from those, from like the foundation of those classes all the time. There's nothing um, that I studied that I didn't think uh, was worth it. And yeah, we took, you know, all of the uh, theater appreciation, theater history, theater, you know, all of those things we all took. And then, yes, we took classes in every discipline and spent time um, sort of studying it all. And I would have had it no other way. I tell every uh, aspiring theater maker that I can that they should learn how to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I lucked out in the fact that um, I was, I, I acted in all of my high school plays. Um, so I was on stage for those, but my, yeah, too. my local regional theater, um, I did all the tech for all of their musicals. So I really got to learn from professional stage managers and professional actors. And at that time I didn't know that this, this is what I wanted to do. And so it was just kind of cool to be like, Hey, that actor has been on Broadway or Hey, that actor has been on national tours. Um, and I got to do pretty much every tech thing except for uh like being a dresser right. so uh, so all of that experience i really helps me now um especially oh, yeah yeah especially since i i currently work in a community theater when i stage manage and so a lot of times it's it's uh like my tech or sometimes there are people who have a lot of experience and sometimes it's people who have none um and so it's it's good to kind of know that you know, I once was there in eighth grade moving, totally. a, moving a bandstand. Yeah. So I want to go back to um, the show, the play that goes wrong. Um, sure. Only because I got to see it and I got to uh, shadow it. So I, I got to see from the front and from offstage right. Um, now, that original cast, that was the cast that is with that company and that came over from England, right? Yes, the, the original company that did it here um, was the company that created it, Mischief Theater. And they are the, um, the eight of them um, are the people who um, originated the, the show um, in London and did it on the West End. And um, when I, was time for me to learn the show, I went over to London for a few weeks, uh, spent some time with the show there before we brought it over here. And that company did it for the first six months. So I had the real luxury of learning the show from the people who made it. You know, I, I didn't get um, a traditional rehearsal process out of that show because we were just transferring it. So they had already done it for a long time. I was the person who was new. Um, we, we rehearsed there for a few days. Um, then we went right into tech here on Broadway and um, the show ended up running way longer than everybody thought. I mean, the, the British company was here for six months and then we replaced that company with an American company and then ended up replacing some of them. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been two national tours. There's an off Broadway show. 
Um, I've had the luxury of directing all the other American companies of the show. And um, I can't say enough good things about the Mischief Company. I, I still keep in touch with them. And um, of course, we talk all the time because of the show, but we have friendships outside of that. They're the most uh, hardworking, dedicated people to what they do. And they are, they are absolutely the best at the kind of theater that they make. Um, if you haven't watched the Goes Wrong show on like Amazon Prime yet, it's the sitcom that they now have on BBC. It is so worth it. Um, I feel like everything they do turns to gold and they deserve all of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, I remember I saw their, their Peter Pan on, yep. on like YouTube before I even knew that there was a play that goes wrong. Like I'd seen it so just a couple months before. Yeah. And I was like, this is hilarious. And actually a few months ago, it was on the night of the Tonys. Um, a friend of mine who usually has Tony parties did a Zoom Tony party. And then we watched that, uh, the Peter Pan. And the oh. entire time we were like casting each other. Like uh, you're the, you know, like, and, and at one point, one of the people in there is a director. He's like, how can we do this? Let's, let's, you know, it's, I'm sure it's probably one of the most difficult things to do. Yes. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're shows that they all are. I mean, I, you know, my experience is with the play that goes wrong and I just, I know that show so well, but the, their style with all of those goes wrong shows um, is, is so unique in that um, it's really hard to do that kind of comedy and um, make it sustain itself and um, to really play the truth of it and not play it for comedy so that the audience can laugh at it. It's... Um, there's a real art and a real finesse to doing that kind of work well and an unbelievable precision to not only the performances, but to the technical aspects of the show. I mean, it's, it's all really got to work like clockwork to make the stuff that goes wrong believable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want a second, um, you, you talking about like their company and the cast. I remember when I went to see it, I went stage door and every single one of them came out and I have a picture with every single one of them. And then that night that I was shadowing you, you went over the PA and you're like shadowing us tonight is, is John O'Neill. And, you know, not all of them, but a few of them came by your office just to come say hi to me which is something that they definitely didn't have to do. They could have been getting ready. And yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun between them and you is I didn't feel like I was just an outsider visitor just happening to come watch from stage. Right. Like I felt like so for that glad, night yeah. I was part of that company, which is, which is I love that. really nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Oh, so, so you then directed the off Broadway and the tours. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. How was that um, that progression going from like stage managing the show to directing the show for a new cast? Um, it's 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 really it's really interesting. I you know by the time I had done the play that goes wrong, I had I had done the same thing for uh, a version of Rock of Ages on tour, and I did it for the Color Purple tour before doing it for Play That Goes Wrong. Um, so much of what you know, what, what you do as a PSM is um, really watch the show and maintain the show and keep the show as tight as it was on opening night and note the show and train understudies and train replacements. And your brain is sort of constantly looking at the show in that way. Um, not every PSM um, has aspirations to direct. I'm somebody who does. Um, and so being able to sort of start at square one and uh, cast a show and reteach the show and, um, 
recreate it is a really special experience. It's, you know, it's, there's something interesting about it in that it's, it's not like we reinvent the wheel every time. We are recreating the exact same show that happened on Broadway, maybe with some small changes here and there for space or whatever. Um, but uh, of course, with every company, um, new life gets breathed into the show. And uh, it's a really, really amazing thing to be able to know a show so intimately that you can lead a company through the process. And that's what I enjoy so much about the play that goes wrong. I, um, I've had the pleasure of working with some uh, incredibly talented, kind, giving actors uh, in that show all over the country. And um, every cast that I've worked on with the show brings something completely different to it. To the outside eye, I think the show looks and feels the same. Um, and I just know that each of those companies has their own heartbeat and the show feels different to me uh, with all of them. And I, uh, it's just been the greatest gift. I, I, the, the show is the, is the gift that keeps on giving for me. And um, it's, uh, it is a joy to be part of its life. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see, especially it's a smaller, it's a smaller cast if I remember yeah. correctly. So it, you also just, I think organically get closer together than you would with, you know, necessarily everybody in a cast of like 50 people or 40 people or something like that. Um, so is it, is it normal for a PSM to direct like an off Broadway or, or a, um, a national tour? Or is that just because you have aspira aspirations of directing, you let somebody, you know, in the hierarchy know, or they came to you? Um, it all depends. I mean, I think, you know, once upon, on a time many years ago, it was a very normal thing for that to happen. And uh, today it happens sometimes and not always. Um, the PSM's job in the future life of a show always depends. Sometimes they um, become the associate director. Uh, sometimes they are the production supervisor. Sometimes they just come in and help get the show remounted during tech. So there's, there is no one way to do it. Um, there are some stage managers who I really looked up to and aspired to be like. Uh, when I was learning, and uh, those stage managers had a similar path to mine, but it's certainly not everybody's path, and it's not a path that everybody wants. You know, um, I know a lot of stage managers who are like, oh my God, I do not want to direct anything. That is not what I want to do, and I know a lot of stage managers who do, and I know a lot of stage managers who uh, become the production supervisors. I know stage managers who don't have anything to do with the future life of a show. I think um, every show and every team has their own way to do that. Um, and that's all about who we are as individuals, right? Like it's just about what, what everybody happens to bring into the room to the table and um, how to best utilize those skills. Yeah. I remember when I was in, um, when I was in my stage management class for my undergrad and my stage management professor said, yeah, a it's a natural progression for stage managers to become directors. And at that yeah. point, at that point, I hadn't stage managed anything. So I was like, I, I don't get it. But obviously, the more I do it, the more um, oh, I yeah. realized that, yeah, it is. And I, re I remember um, I stage managed a show last year. And then that director was directing a kid's show this year and I became the assistant director for her just because I wanted to learn more under her. And yeah, it just, it was a natural progression, especially since yeah, it was jobs, with the same director. So similar. Yeah. It's it, the jobs are way more similar and have way more uh, likenesses. than I think people think, and um, 
uh, like how Prince was a was a stage manager before he started directing and look at him you know it's uh I think it's I think the trick is to not um, and this is true of anything in this business is to not pigeonhole yourself into having to only do one thing. Like nobody needs to be put into a box. There are actors who stage manage, there are actors who direct, there are directors who design, there are choreographers who perform, you know, like there's no rule to, you can only do this one thing. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. In, anyway. in, uh, at my local theater, I act stage manage and I've assistant directed and um, until, you know, COVID reared its ugly head, I was in talks of directing um, something within our teens uh, program, our education program. Amazing. So yeah, it's, it, it, it allows it really to, to not get stale, to not get, you know, either bored or, or overwhelmed. Yeah. I was spending a ton of hours at the theater, but, I was, you know, assistant directing kids where, and then I would go to a main stage and stage manage that. And it just, um, and I think that it just helped me in every other aspect. Like I always totally. I've said it a couple of times on this, on this podcast is I try and act in a show at least once a year or once every other year, or, yeah. you know, just because every time I do a show, I'll do something. I'll go, Oh, that's what I want from a stage manager. So let me start incorporating yes. that within my, with my, in my, um, does that kind of, ha- does that have the same effect with you when you direct sometimes that oh. when you're like, Oh yeah. And then you start incorporating stuff within your stage management. Totally. I mean, the thing is one job absolutely informs the other. I mean, when I'm, um, when I'm the PSM, I, uh, I know what it means to sit in the director's seat and I um, really understand that job. And um, a lot of my relationships with the directors I work with um, have that in that relationship. You know, um, Alex Timbers and Cheryl Caller and uh, John Doyle and Kristen Hengi. These are all people who like collaborators who I, um, I can PSM for and also um, have a great conversation about scene work with. And, um, talk to about anything and our relationship exists outside the room. And when I'm directing, I of course know what it is to be the PSM. And interesting for me is on some of the shows we're talking about, I know what it's like to stage manage them. So I, um, that, that's useful too. You know, the, the jobs absolutely inform the other and they make me respect the other job so much more. And it's actually easier to, to change hats than it may seem. Yeah, I th- and and one of the things that I, I can kind of think of is every time I go into a show, especially with a new director, I always, um, you know, I'll talk to them early on. But, you know, that, that fine line of when am I just there to write things down and whatnot, and when do they want my artistic opinion? And yep. I feel like... I take those cues from them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't ever, I don't ever, like um offer it up but like i think i i feel like is it a little bit easier um especially if you've worked with a director multiple times or you know they know that you've been a director um just to kind of get be able to give your artistic idea um Um, if that kind of makes sense yeah it's such a fine line right because as a stage manager, I think it's important that we all understand that we work in the room. We have a place at the table. We're part of the creative team. We're there to be part of the process. But 
our voice is not one that always needs to be heard. Um, but sure, I think it's all about trust. It's all about um, reading a room, knowing how to sort of speak and when not to, letting the director or the choreographer find you available and open to conversation. And of course, yes, the more you work with people, the more um, that relationship cultivates, the easier it is to have conversation. It's, I have worked with, I don't know, you know, Alex Timbers and I have worked together for years. And um, I'm at the place with Alex where I'm, I, you know, I feel comfortable saying anything to him about anything involving the show or anything else. You know, it's, that's not always true when you're working with a director for the first time. I remember um, when I was working on this new musical, A Walk, um, a Walk on the Moon, which was at ACT in San Francisco. It was my first time working with Cheryl Keller, who is uh, wonderful. And um, it took us, you know, um, a week or so in the room together to really learn how we uh, were gonna interact and connect. And then by the time we finished that process, we, I mean, we're talking about every line in the show together all the time. And um, I really felt like our relationship and our collaboration uh, grew so much in six weeks, but it was all about mutual respect and mutual trust. And um, I think that it's everybody's responsibility to bring that into the room. I think that the most important relationship you know, one of the most important relationships that you have as the stage manager is with the director and vice versa. And good stage managers and good directors know that. Yeah, I have had the the privilege to to work with some really great, great directors um, and each of them multiple times, either as an actor or as a stage manager. Um, and it's just, it it makes that first rehearsal just so much easier to me like oh, knowing yeah. knowing like what i can do and what the director is expecting of me um and totally. that and that they have complete trust on me that you know if they need this all they have to do is they may not even have to say anything they just turn around and they look at you and you're like yep you got it um, i totally. think that's that's so important um so my so my biggest thing uh my biggest question has always been about about tech so I work in a, in a community theater, like I said, and our tech looks like we have one day of a 10 hour tech day and then we have four days of dress rehearsal and then we open. Um, and so I just, I've always wanted to like shadowing was a great thing. And I know that this probably will never happen, but I've always wanted to just be in a room during like in the corner during a tech um, time of a Broadway show can you, uh, as much as you are allowed to, kind of um, give us a look into like what a tech might look like for uh, a Broadway show? Sure. Um, every tech schedule is different, right? Every show has different requirements. A show like um, The Revival of the Color Purple um, has a very, very different tech process than a show like Beetlejuice, where the color purple, the set never moved. There was just actors moving chairs around, um, lots of lights and things to craft, but it was not like Beetlejuice, which is um, a, a big Broadway spectacle musical. And um, the play that goes wrong is a different kind of show than Honeymoon in Vegas. And, you know, um, Broadway tech is, uh, is different than, um, tech that you're experiencing there in that we have um, uh, 
and there's never enough time, but we have the luxury of time. Meaning that um, for beet, like I can use Beetlejuice as an example because I think it's uh, like a good example of a big Broadway show. We teched for three weeks in DC and three weeks on Broadway. And um, those days, um, seven of them are 10 out of 12 hour days. Meaning you work from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or 12, you know, 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. And the rest of the days are eight hour days, one to nine. Um, usually what that means is the crew comes in in the morning from eight to noon and does some sort of work call or we dry tech, which means we work on lighting and transitions and scenery without the actors. Then uh, the actors come in for either the 10 hours or the eight hours and we rehearse with them. And um, it's, you know, we spend, we, we can spend six hours on one song and then not quite be done with it and have to come back and do more detail work later. And um, the tech schedule is um, usually crafted uh, very closely uh, by the PSM with uh, the production manager and the director. And each day we'll set goals for ourselves. So we know we have to sort of get to this scene or this song by dinner break. Then after dinner, we want to get this far and tomorrow we want to do this. And, um, I really communicate with all of the designers about that. And uh, the PSM is really, really steering the ship during tech. I think um, I always say the, you know, the, there's a lot of people in, in the theater during tech who uh, know where we're going and know how to get there. But the one driving the car is the PSM. So um, it takes a lot of collaboration. It takes a lot of patience. Everybody runs tech their own way. Um, my tech uh, is run a lot like I'm talking to you right now. I don't really speak any differently on a God mic or on headset than I'm talking right now. Um, I like to keep things light and easy. And uh, I think that the calmer I am and the more relaxed the room is, the better the work is. And uh, it's a long process. I think, you know, we usually do one or two dress rehearsals before we have an audience. And then after that tech process, we enter previews. And during previews, we do the show at night, but then we come in during the day and rehearse and make changes. And that could go anywhere from two weeks to four weeks to however long your show has. Beetlejuice did like three weeks of tech and then three and a half weeks of previews. So it was a long process and a lot of hours spent really um, looking at the show moment by moment. And that's true, you know, the play that goes wrong, we teched, I think on Broadway for six or seven days. And with a show like that, you're able to really look at every single moment for a long time. I mean, that's a show that had been done before and we spent that much time sort of really crafting it and getting it right. Um, and I love tech. I, I love previews the most. Previews are my favorite part. Um, but I, um, tech, tech is, is a, you know, it's a beast everywhere you are. But that's what I will always say about Broadway tech is that... Um, even with all of that sort of luxury, there always is like more on the to-do list. There's always more things that we want to do. That doesn't quite change just because that the time expands. It's, it's like I said earlier, where it's the same stuff everywhere. It's just like the amount of time and money that you have, right? Yeah, it's just, I, I love, I've always loved tech. I've always loved the entire process. Um, but our... I'm sure it's like this a lot of places, but ours always gets the nickname of, of hell week. It's like, Oh, tech week is hell week. Cause it's just, um, it's the first time that we spend like eight straight days. 
because we are a community theater. Uh, nobody's getting paid to do it. It's a lot of, it's just people are doing it because they love it. And right. I should um, say that too. I forgot that part of it is that it's, it's all relative. I mean, yeah. your tech process is sort of relative to the way you rehearse where yeah. like, think about we rehearse a Broadway show six days a week from 10 to six every day. Yeah. So really our tech days just get longer or stay the same and go for a longer amount of time. Yeah. Just like your tech week get the days get longer, you know, yeah. it's, it's all relative. It's also our full-time jobs. So yeah. 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 And I've often, yeah, I've often said, I can't wait till the time where all I have to worry about is theater, you know, because yes. theater is, and that, that, like, that is my goal right now. I work 40 hours a week at the university. Um, and then I'll go into the theater, you know, for anywhere from four to six hours, four to four times a week. Um, and I love it. A lot of people are like, how are you like, walking or how are you awake and i was like because i love doing it but i've i just i i can't i can't wait till it's the only thing i have to worry about of course worrying about paying bills and stuff like that will always be there but just sure i could wake up and go in and do it and i i had about six weeks where i had a glimpse of that when i worked at bush gardens and that was that was a lot of fun and it was like yeah professional stage management and theater is exactly what i want to do totally Uh, yeah. And thank you for, uh, you know, letting us glimpse a little bit into what a tech week is and you just make it more yeah. exciting for me, um, to want to see one and be a part of one. Um, of course. and I, I just have to say this cause he would be very mad if I didn't. And I have a really good friend. He was the first episode of this podcast who is a massive Beetlejuice fan. Uh, the musical he's a huge fan and all he's ever talked about and the other day when I told him you're going to be on the podcast he's like tell him I want to be on the national tour I was like I don't think Matt has anything to do with any future tours if there is one but I'll I'll mention it so Dylan I have mentioned it and that's all I'm gonna say but yeah he's a huge Beetlejuice fan there you go there there hopefully will be a Beetlejuice tour um, someday, who knows anymore with all of the scheduling stuff that's going to happen because of COVID, but there are plans for a tour and, um, hopefully I will be uh, part of it. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And yeah, he's done. Yeah. He's an amazing actor, great singer. So I know amazing. he's talked, yeah, he's talked about, it. he's like, whenever I hear of an audition, I'm going to go for it. So who knows? You, you may, you may yes. see him. Um, and, and so since we've mentioned it a couple of times and you just mentioned it about, about, uh, COVID. Um, let's just talk about it. What do you think uh, theater will be like? And let's just go with the Broadway level um, of for theater in general, but also for stage managers in post-COVID times. Um, you know, I, I wish I knew. I think, I, I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a different world for a while. I think there's going to be a lot of rules and a lot of red tape, and I think there should be. And I think that, uh, it's going to take a lot to make everybody feel really safe. And I don't just mean the audience. I mean the actors. I mean the crew. I mean the stage managers. I mean the creative team. Everybody. And um, on Broadway, we have a lot to deal with and to reckon with. And one of the big things is space. You know, everybody's on top of each other all the time. The orchestra's on top of each other in the pit. The actors are on top of each other in the dressing rooms. We're all climbing over each other and things in the wings. Um, the buildings are old, most of them. And um, I think it's really important that stage managers are not the people who are responsible for deciding um, 
who's healthy enough to do the show and who isn't. I think that uh, stage managers are not going to be the arbiters of like what's sanitized and what isn't. I think that um, the unions are really interested in making sure that there are people around who are experts in that, who are able to advise us. I think stage managers have enough to do and the job is big enough without having to um, be the COVID police. And so I think that uh, there's a lot to be worked out and how this all happens. But I think that Broadway is going to feel, um, I, first of all, I can't wait for it to come back. I, you know, I, um, I long for the sense of community that we all get being together in a room telling a story. And I think that that is just going to feel different for a while while we all get our feet wet. I think that there are probably things that are going to change during this that will never change back. You know, I think that there are probably ways that we operated in the past that are going to be forever ways that we operated in the past. And then I will have as like memories of, oh, remember when we did it that way? That there'll be like a pre-COVID and a post-COVID way of doing theater. And um, I'm uh, anxiously awaiting being a part of seeing that happen. I agree. Um, a lot of times when I, I'll read something like Matt Stern put out a great thing a couple months ago about, about like what post COVID stage management might look like mm -hmm. or, or what theaters will need to do. Um, and everything I read, I then just automatically break it down to like, okay, how are we going to do that on the community theater level? Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it all trickles down. I mean, it's going to yeah. be, you know, there's Broadway, there's the national tours, there's the regional theaters, there's the opera, there's so much, there's educational theater, there's community theater, there, it's, it's yeah. all going to sort of work its way through. And I, I was, I was on a webinar the other day, and I think it was Ira Mont that was, uh, that looked at us dead in the, in the camera and said, we will be back. Theater oh, yeah. will be back. Yeah, it's going to take time, but there's no way it won't come back. I mean, that's, I'm certainly not one of the people who is um, defeatist about it. I, theater is resilient. Theater people are resilient. Um, the industry is going to probably take a while to recover, but it's going to be back. I mean, there's no, yeah. there's no doubt in my mind that it's not going to come back strong someday. I agree. And hopefully even stronger. Um, yes. Hopefully with more stories to tell and better ways to tell it. Uh, yes. So what is your favorite part of being a stage manager? Um, my, you know, it's, it's sort of the stuff we've been talking about. It's the collaboration. I think, um, you know, I've been really lucky. I, I've stage managed lots of, uh, lots of cool projects. I've worked with great people. Those things are all, you know, that's all amazing. And I, um, the job is never the same twice. It's never the same show to show and it's never the same two days in a row. It's never the same on a two show day. I mean, I, I love that. I love the fact that on any given day, the job is like equal parts, technical, artistic, organizational, managerial, like there are so many facets to the job. And um, I love that it's sort of uh, strength, you know, pushes me in all of those ways every day. And I, I think there's a real art in it. You know, there's an art in diplomacy. There's an art in leading a company. And um, there's an art in maintaining a show. There's an art in calling a show. There's an art in running a show. And um, there's an art of in communicating. And so much of what we do is about communicating and interacting with people. And that's my favorite part of it. It's that, you know, we get to do all of those things every day and that like at the hub of what we do is communication and collaboration. Absolutely. And, and that leadership of, of the company, 
um, you know, not just the cast and the crew, but of everybody. Uh, for anybody who's listening who may have never been a part of a show at all, at any level, um, can you just give an idea, even if it's just a ballpark, about how many people are involved with putting on a, a, a Broadway musical? Oh my God, yes, sure. Um, let's see. I mean, Beetlejuice had um, a cast of over 25. It had a crew that was bigger than the cast. It had an orchestra of 18. It had four stage managers. Um, it had seven dressers. It had three hair people. I mean, it was just a massive group of people in the building every night. And, um, you know, when push comes to shove, everybody looks at the PSM for the answer, you know, and that's, um, that's an amazing thing. It's a cool, it's a cool thing. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that, but um, Beetlejuice is probably, it's, it's definitely not the biggest musical and it's not the smallest, but mm -hmm. that gives you a good idea. I mean, we're talking back there, 80 people, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of people. And then there's all the people that aren't there every night, right? There's the general managers, the producers, the press people, the marketing people, the designers, the director, the choreographer, their assistants, their associates. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, um, you know, the, between the PSM and the music director and the company manager and the dance captain, we sort of come together to make sure that the show happens every night. And as the lead, I, you know, I use the word lead the company um, in every, you know, in every meaning that that could possibly be. It's, it's about um, leading through the show, leading through stress, leading through, um, leading by example leading through mishaps, leading through good times, keeping everybody on the same page, making sure everybody's as happy as they can be coming to work, um, enforcing rules when you have to, making, making sure people know the rules, making sure people are where they're supposed to be, um, having fun, leading, you know, like leading morale. It's all, it all comes, uh, comes, comes into play as the, the part of the job. Yeah. And, and it's just, it, I asked that question um, for both people who, who may not know how many people are involved with the show. And also, cause I know a lot of pe people who do listen to this are either actors or Stephanie and her crew. And they kind of have an idea. It's just next time you sit and see a show, just think of the amount of people that it, that it took to create that two and a half to three hours worth of art. Um, and hundreds of people. Yeah, yeah. And that it's, and I think that's one of the things that always amazes me, even though I've been a stage manager for a couple of years and I, you know, I know everybody who has been involved, almost everybody who's been involved in that particular show. And just the fact that so many people's ideas and talents and love come together to create this one product is just, it's an amazing, this is just an amazing thing. And I think that's probably why I love it so much. Totally. Um, me too. And so, which takes us right into the final question, which is the final question that I ask everybody. And that is why theater? Why theater? It's such a good question, especially right now while uh, we don't have it. I mean, um, I, I love to tell stories. I love to um, be part of, I mean, we, you know, we always say, people always say theater family, but I love to be part of, um, something larger and I love to know um, that each and every night the experience that we have in a theater is uh, totally singular. It's, 
you know, you can do a show thousands and thousands of times and it really never is the same twice because the chemistry between the performing company and the audience in that night at that moment is real and um, specific and um, irreplaceable. You can't recreate one performance eight times a week or for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and years. Um, and so why theater for me is because I love to be part of that group. I love to build new things. I love to tell stories. I love to be part of the company of people who gets to collaborate and tell the story. And I love to be part of something that's real and that um, sort of disappears. You know, I, the reason I don't do TV and film is because I like the rush and the adrenaline of live performance. I think that there is um, something completely singular about the experience of doing live theater. And um, I've, been, I've been that way since I was six years old. You know, it's, it's sort of the bug bit me early and I've, um, I've never looked back and I've never questioned it. That was that was beautifully put. It is my favorite question I ask everybody because it's. I love that question. It's it's different, with everybody, but it's some a little bit the same all the way across yeah. the board. And I Back. do think that we that this time, as much as it stinks and as much as all of us hate it, I think it allows us all to at least sit down, whether consciously or subconsciously, and answer that question for ourselves. And and is it something that we want to do on the other side of this? Um, Which is why I think theater, when we come back, will just be stronger. I agree with you totally. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm I'm glad that I got to get you on and got to get your opinions and thoughts and to hear a little bit about uh, about your past. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we uh, we got to do this. Absolutely. And thank you to everybody who's listening. You can always find us on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. So until next time. Bye.